0: Thank you for downloading this man-to-man podcast from Awaken Heart Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Dr. Scott Engelman and the Awakened Heart Ministries team on our website at ahmthenumber It doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize something dark and sinister is happening in the world today right in front of our very eyes. Truth is being persistently distorted. Biology is being vehemently denied. Morality is being shamelessly dismissed and Christianity is being arrogantly deconstructed. Everything has turned inside out and upside down as our secular, woke culture systematically wages war against the goodness of God's rule and created order. You may be asking, where is God in all of this? Why is he allowing this upside down to happen? Are these the last days? And if not, then what is God up to? If questions like these are on your mind, then please join us in this series, What on Earth is God Doing? As we look for answers from the context of God's larger story. We think this series will be biblically enlightening, spiritually refreshing, and personally challenging, as its purpose is to help Christian men better understand how they can actively participate with God in this current spiritual battle in a more meaningful and effective way.
1: Morning, guys. Well, that uh, clip uh, we're going to see is uh, more apropos uh, to what we're going to see from uh, the scriptures today than you believe. And so I want to begin with an introductory question and that question is this, what kind of story is God telling? What's the genre uh, that God is telling? Is it a romance or maybe an adventure, a comedy, a drama, a thriller, a mystery, a horror story? What kind of story is God telling? Well, while there may be elements of, of all these in God's story, I think the the answer to that question, what kind of story is God telling, is simply this. God is telling a war story. And this story extends through all of human history from the beginning of time to the end of time. It involves a cosmic battle between God and his family and the serpent and his family or his seed and it's moving forward towards a future victorious day when as it says in the book of Revelation the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of what our God and he will rule forever and ever that's a war story God is writing a war story and if God is telling a war story then what that means is that we are daily living in a time of cosmic war, right? If we're in the middle of a story that's all about a war, we are not living in a peacetime, we're living in wartime. The problem with that is, is too many of us don't realize we're in a time of cosmic war. And as a result, we're not living, as Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, as soldiers with a wartime mentality. Rather, we're living more like civilians in a peacetime mentality. There's there's a way to live as a civilian in peacetime that's very different than a soldier in wartime. How you think, how you act, what you do, what you don't do. Likewise, we're not fighting the battle meaningfully and effectively. Rather, too often we're unaware of it, where we misunderstand it or we just kind of dabble at it. For example, if you ask the average Christian guy, what is a spiritual battle? What do you think you'll get? What's the answers you'll get? Well, some of those answers might be, well, it's something that happens in third world countries, you know, where they're still um, worshiping stone or wooden idols. Others, it's something for pastors or trained Christian experts. You know, somebody that that has gone to school and they know what to do. Others will say, well, it's something weird that requires special deliverance prayers. You know, you hear the prayers, you pray this, and and this happens. But it's it's just kind of a weird kind of a, a supernatural thing. Others... When they talk about the spiritual battle, it's something that a man feels when he's tempted to look at porn. In other words, that's the only time we're aware of the spiritual battle is when you're being tempted to do something you shouldn't. Now again, while there's elements of the spiritual battle in all of this, is that what the spiritual battle is really all about? My point this morning is this. When we fail to understand that God's story is a war story of cosmic proportions, the spiritual battle will then not even appear on our radar screen. And if it does, we won't give it the weight that it demands. And at best, we'll begin to view the spiritual battle as an unwanted spiritual struggle that we have to somehow escape, rather than an unavoidable cosmic battle that God calls us to daily engage in. And so with that, today's thesis, what we want to focus on today is simply this. To properly understand the cosmic battle and your engagement in it and my engagement in it, day after day, we must accurately understand God's larger story and our place in that. And what I want us to see today is simply this. God's story is a war story. That's being told by a warrior God who picks fights, wins battles, and conquers enemies all for the sake of his human family whom he faithfully loves. There's a word for that, faithful love. It's, called, it's the Hebrew word chesed, loyal love. And we're going to do this today in our third session in our current series, What on Earth is God Doing? Uh, subtitled Framing the Spiritual Battle Within the Story of God. And the strategy of, our se- of this series is simply this, to connect uh, major dots, key dots, in God's larger story from Genesis to Revelation to discover what God is doing in the world today, or what He's always been doing from beginning to end, including today, which will give to us, when we understand that, it will give to us a transcendent hope that that our hope is about something bigger than just, I hope the gas prices go down. There's something bigger to this hope than that when we know what God is doing in the world today and how you and I as men can be part of what he's doing in the world today and therefore have a purposeful direction. So transcendent hope and purposeful direction. Now last time, we finished connecting the three key dots found in Genesis 1 through 11, and those dots were the Creator and His creation, found in Genesis 1 and 2, the three cosmic uprisings, Genesis 3, 6, and 11, and then the Great Divorce, Genesis 10 through 11, and these three dots from Genesis 1 to 11 form the prelude to God's war story. And as you look at these three dots, what you see as the prelude is that they frame the story as a battle. They frame the plot as a battle. And also, they set the story's ending as a victory. So it's a war story that is going to uh, lay forth the battle that's moving towards a victory when the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our God And he, again, reigns and rules forever and ever. Now, from the prelude, we learned that God made human beings, first of all, because he wanted a family. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It wasn't because God was lonely. It wasn't because he needed something. God just wanted a family. Why? Because God is a relational God. He loves to give love and he loves to receive love. And so God creates us to be uniquely like Him and to represent Him in the world as His sons. And But He gives us free will. He doesn't make us like robots. He gives us free will because God wants to be genuinely loved by His children, not forced to be loved. Not just do, it's our duty, so we have to do it. God wants to be loved, and so He gives us free will. And then He places us in His Edenic home, Eden, Remember, Eden was a small geographical location on the earth. That is where heaven and earth intersected. That was his home on earth where humankind met him. And it was there with his other angelic family. God had two families, the human family and the angelic family. And they met with God and they lived there together. And we God's intention was that we would live there with him as a blended family. And He calls us, then we saw in Genesis 2 and 1, to participate in His family business of taking the glory and goodness and beauty of Eden and expanding it into all the world, subduing the world, filling the world, subduing the world with that Edenic glory. That was God's intention. And this intention, this, this divine plan, is what we call Shalom. The way the world is supposed to be. The way things are supposed to work. This is how we were made. And this, deep on the inside, is what every human being longs for. It's Because it's for what we were created and designed. And even though that was God's plan, and it was a good plan, the way it's supposed to be, we saw that something happened. Something happened in in, uh, that prelude something happened that turned everything in the world upside down so that the world was no longer a place of shalom, but it was now a place of anti-shalom. It was a place of darkness and disorder and depravity and destruction and decay and death. Not at all the way God planned it and designed it and intended it to be. We asked the question, well, what happened? And we saw that the three cosmic uprisings in which uh, members of both families participate caused this upside down. And those three cosmic uprisings were the fall in Genesis 3, the flood in Genesis 6, really what precipitates the flood, and then the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. The fall was the rebellion of Adam and Eve set in motion by Lucifer uh, two different members of, of God's two different families, members of two different families, that brought two things into the world, death into the world and alienation from God. The flood, Genesis 6, was that precipitated the flood was the sexual cohabitation of the angelic sons of God and the human daughters of men that produces this offspring, this hybrid offspring, called the Nephilim. The Nephilim were a giant clan, they were renowned warriors, and they really were agents of of chaos. And they accelerate depravity, and this, this combination of human and angelic being begins to threaten human identity. What human beings were created and designed to be. And then we have the Tower of Babel, and we saw that the Tower of Babel was the attempt of human beings to restore their own form of Eden, because remember, after the fall, Eden vanished. And so we, we want that. We, we want that, that Edenic experience. And so they are uh, attempting to restore their own form of Eden without God. And that opens the door to idolatry and results in God dividing His family into nations. He scatters people and He forms them into nations. And if that wasn't all enough... Last time we looked at Psalm 32 and we saw that Psalm 32 describes God's culminative response to the three cosmic uprisings. He looks at the fall, He looks at the flood, and He looks at the Tower of Babel and He says, I've had enough. And what does He do? Well, after dividing His human family into nations at Babel, God then divorces His family. Human beings... Uh, were disinherited of their status as God's children. That's why we have to be adopted back into the family of God as children. John 1.12, but as many as received Him, Christ, to them He gave the right to what? Become children of God. We were made children of God. We lost that status and it's through Jesus that we're brought back into that status. But we also then saw that God then assigns to each nation one of His angelic sons to rule over it on His behalf. In other words, the nations were placed under God's sovereign rule via angelic proxy. God is still over them, but some of His different top angels, His sons, He he, uh, assigns them to rule over that nation on his behalf. and That brings us this morning to the $10,000 question, and that is this. As the prelude of God's story ends, Genesis 11, the Most High God who created human beings because he wanted a family is what? He's now without a family. In other words, the reason he created us is because he wanted a family isn't existing anymore. He's without this human family. And so the question is this. What will God do now? Will he give up and start over? What is God going to do? Well, before we answer that question, there's another dot that we need to connect, an important dot, to more fully understand God's story as a war story. Okay? And that's this. The Bible tells us that sometime after Genesis 11, God's angelic sons, those that he assigned to rule a different nation, they become corrupt and they too rebel against God. So this is another rebellion of the angels. And we see this primarily in Psalm 82. This is what Psalm 82 says. God provide, presides in the divine council among the angelic hosts. So this is, this is in the heavenlies. Around the angelic hosts are there. And it's among the angelic hosts he renders judgment. So he's there with the angelic hosts and he's rendering judgment among them. And he says this, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? You were to defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, uphold the rights of the afflicted and oppressed, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is what I assigned you to do. None of you know or understand. You stumble in the darkness while the foundations of the earth tremble. I have said, Your gods, that word there is Elohim, and it simply means a spiritual being. God is Elohim, meaning He's a spiritual being. We are not Elohim. Why? Because we're we're, we're human beings. We have spirit and body. And Elohim has only spirit. Guess what angels are? Elohim. So He says, you are Elohim. You are all sons of the Most High. You're part of my angelic family. Nonetheless, like humans, you will die And like any other ruler, you will fall. And then he says this, Arise, O God, and take back the earth. From who? From them. For you shall inherit the nations. But what is all this? Well, I believe that Psalm 82 is describing God's evaluation of His angelic sons' assignment to rule the nations. What kind of a uh, evaluation are they getting? Not a real good one, are they? Because their rule has become socially and politically corrupt (verses 1 through 5), God says He is going to judge them with a future judgment. And what is that judgment? Well, verses 6-7, through Someday He will take away their immortality as angelic beings. In other words, human beings die. Angels don't die. But because of what you did, you, He says, are going to die like a human being. Second, He says someday He will take the nations away from them, and He will bring them back to Himself. Verse 8. In other words, because of continued human rebellion, God divides his family into geographical nations, Genesis 11. He divorces the nations and he assigns them to angelic sons to rule over on his behalf, Psalm 32. But instead of faithfully serving their father by ruling justly, by ruling the nations justly on his behalf, what do they do? They rebel against God. They corrupt the nations and they face an abnormal future judgment of death. Angels are immortal. They're not supposed to die, but they're going to die. Psalm 82. But until then, and this is what I want you to get until then, where are these beings? Well, they are the beings that exist as the false gods who enslave the nations and whom the nations worship and serve. By fault, it doesn't mean there really isn't anything there. They're existent It means they're not the true God. They're not the most high God. They exist. They enslave the nations, and the nations serve and worship them. In the New Testament, they're called the principalities, powers, and rulers. Those terms, those three terms, are, are um, geographic. Describe evil beings that possess geographic domain or geographic authority, and they are the beings over and over, especially uh, in the letters of Paul, that he warns against. In fact, Ephesians six twelve, put on the full armor of God. Why? Because our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities rulers, powers of this darkness. These are these rebellious, angelic sons that God says someday He is going to judge. In fact, we know when that's going to be. 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's around verse 24, it says, when Jesus takes back the earth and He once again submits All things to God and everything is against uh, under God, it is then He will abolish all principality, rule, and powers. That's when they're going to be destroyed. And all that brings us back now to the $10,000 question, and that is this As the prelude of God's story ends, Genesis 1 through 11, God is now without a human family. And so the question. What will God do now? Will He give up on plan A, to have a human family, to live with them forever in Eden, where they will go out and serve Him and extend His glory and His goodness and His order and beauty and life into the world? Or will He start over with plan B, whatever that might be? What's God going to do now? Well, I'll let you ponder on that for five minutes, and we'll come back and look and see what happened. Okay?
0: We hope that Scott's message today has encouraged you and helped you to better understand how God intended the power he gave us to be used. Please visit our website at ahm4.life and click on the resources tab. There you will see the Man to Man podcast and other resources we have available. At AHM, our mission is to provide hope and direction to men in a confusing world through Jesus Christ. Please continue to keep our ministry in your prayers. If you would like to donate to our efforts, visit our website and click on the Giving tab. Man-to-Man podcasts are provided by Awakened Heart Ministries, located in Troy, Michigan.